For those of you who don't know, my name is Lee Gilligan, and I'm the oldest of Pastor Tim's five. And it is my great opportunity tonight to, to get to speak to y'all. But more than just an opportunity, um, I've got to do this a handful of times now. And each time, I'm just, it's so impressed upon me beyond the opportunity, just the responsibility. That really, it's not by my might, not my, by my ability or anything that I've done. But it's just, it's a, it's a humbling thing for, for God to, to give anyone a platform. And, and I don't say that in any way to bring glory to me. But each and every one of us as children of God, whether in, we're in quote-unquote full-time ministry or not, we are ministers of the gospel. We all have different realms of influence. We all have a platform and God wants to speak things through us. And that's a great responsibility for each and every one of us. And um, I'm just grateful that I get to come and reveal things in the light of the truth of the scriptures. And, uh, but, but more so, it's the, the real, the, really the challenge is, is dad is able to week in, week out, bring, uh, bring the truth. But it's so real, so relevant, so deep, but yet so easy to apply to your life. So practical. And so I believe what God has for me to share tonight, I believe it's something that each and every one of us, it'll really open our eyes. And it's something that we can easily apply to our day-to-day life. Something practical that will yield very real fruit um, in our day-to-day lives. But before I get into what I'm going to talk about tonight, a few times back when I spoke, I said that I was going to try to do a better job of keeping you guys in the loop on my little one, Gavin. Because dad doesn't always do the best job. That was kind of my reason. <laughs> he, t- he tells the stories, but I got the pictures. I mean, Katie's iPhone is loaded with pictures. And um, here's one of the latest ones I want to show you guys. If y'all throw that up. For, for those of you who are slower, what that's saying is that we're expecting number two. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're pretty excited and... Um, we, we've known for a little bit. We, we wanted to keep it kind of under wraps. Like the first time, there's such a difference between the, the first child and the second. The first one, all the excitement is new. Everything is a new experience. And then the second time, not that it was anticlimactic, but it's just, I don't know, it's a different type of joy. It's a different type of reaction. So we waited even a few weeks before we told our family. Whereas the first time, like we found out and 20 minutes later, we're in the car at like eight in the morning to my parents. And then she's like, well, what if we're not even really pregnant? What if the, the test was wrong? You know, but anyway, so we, we've kept it under wraps and I was like, maybe we're not even going to announce it from the, from the pulpit. Cause first time we did. And this time I was like, yeah, just word of mouth or people on Facebook. And then tonight I was like, you know what? I, I need to let everyone know. So yeah, we're expecting number two. We're excited. Gavin's totally clueless. Thank you. Gavin is all boy. And as you saw in that picture, he's sitting on the side and he's holding a dinosaur. It kind of gets lost in the background of it all. But he's all boy. He growls. He, he loves sports. I mean, he's very physical. And so Katie, whenever she's resting or sitting down, he's always jumping on her, hitting her, you know, all over her. So we're trying to teach him, Gavin, there's a baby in there. And it's, it's not clicking yet. So pray for us. But we're trying to get him to calm down and realize kind of what's coming in the, in the next month. So thank you for, guys for your support, your excitement and your prayers in that as we embark on this new season for our family. Uh, but as I get into what I want to talk about tonight, I w- uh, want to start off by saying growing up, uh, both my parents were very musical. Dad went to FSU on a full ride scholarship for music and all the Seminole fans said, <laughs> dad says there are none. <laughs> and all the Gator fans said, <laughs> all right, now I know what buttons to push up here. <laughs> For real though, dad, he has no allegiance. His dad actually played for Florida. His sister graduated from there. He went to FSU, but he, it's not like he really has a favorite. He kind of just likes to razz people. He, you know, he'll check the scores Saturday night and then Sunday he knows what jokes to make to kind of push you guys buttons, but he's not a real FSU fan. Sorry, dad. 
But that's totally besides the point. What I, where I was getting at with that is that he went to school uh, on a full-ride scholarship for music. Um, he traveled with some professional music groups. My mom was very musical. She played instruments. She sang. They still do to this day. And each one of us kids inherited some of that musical ability in some sense. So I say that to say, growing up in a musical family, um, well, actually backing up, I think if mom had it her way, you know, our family is kind of, we've, we've gone into full-time ministry. But if mom had it her way, it would, we would be more like the Partridge family. <laughs> or maybe like that episode of the Brady Bunch where they're in the talent show and the, what are they, the silver platters? Something like that, where we all have matching outfits and we're singing and dancing. <laughs> if mom had it her way, I honestly think that that's what we'd, we'd be doing. But thank God on all of our behalf that that's not what happened. Um, <laughs> so growing up in the church, that gave me an outlet, playing guitar, singing, whatever. It gave me outlets to use that gift for God's glory and, and to play in, in a, um, a corporate worship gathering in, in many different instances. I've got to grow up and, and see that. And so most of us, when we, when we hear the word worship, we automatically think of the corporate setting, like a time that we just experienced, all of us together, a body of believers, lifting God up through music and praising his name. And it's, it, you know, it's a beautiful outward expression that we can do together as one. But I think a lot of us would, um, it would be a disservice if we only thought of worship in the context of what happens right within a spiritual setting or a quote unquote spiritual setting, you know, just within a church setting. When you, when you look at the Bible, the, the scriptures are saturated with the subject of worship. Just in the King James Version, the word itself shows up over 250 times and over 100 different passages. And then you take a book like Psalms, and it's really, it's the vocabulary of worship. David was a psalmist, and he wrote beautiful songs of praise to God. Really a response from his gratitude for who God was and what he was doing. And those, those same Psalms and those same uh, passages on worship ring true today because God is never changing. And he still is a God worthy of being worshipped. But I want you to look at something with me here. Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to look at 11 and 12. And this is in the message translation. This is the only one I'm going to use in the message just because I really like the way it is. But everything else will be the new living. It says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose that he is working out in everything and everyone. So we're finding out what we're living for, that God has designs for glorious living, that he's working out his purpose in us. Other translations say that we exist for his glory, that we exist to worship. So beyond just a corporate gathering where we would worship outwardly, what I want you guys to kind of grasp hold of tonight is that worship is not just, it's not just something we do here, but it's, it's the very core of our existence. We were created to worship. We exist to bring him glory, not just in quote unquote spiritual things, not just um, in the activities of worship service, but in everything we do, we have an opportunity to bring glory to God. Anything, um, some people get in the mindset that anything outside of the sanctuary is somehow of secondary value. And, and it's easy to do. You know, you come to church and you feel good and, and, you're, and you're getting fed and you're around other believers. And then in the day-to-day and the things of the week, sometimes you feel like the things you're caught up in or doing, that they really have no value or that they somehow aren't bringing glory to God. But I want to show you guys tonight that everything we do can be a response to God. That every action, every thought, every feeling, every opportunity, every conversation, every person we come across, these are opportunities for us to look at that, to take uh, stock in our life and look, look at how we're approaching things. What are our motives? What is the posture of our heart? And how can we do those things to bring glory to our Savior? And I, I think just thinking, if we shift that thinking, how different our life 
might be when we realize that at the core of our very existence, our purpose is to bring glory to him. And really, worship is anything that ascribes worth or glory to God. It can be anything we do, and it can be anything that we say. Um, in the instance of do, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Hebrews 13.15 says, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And you've probably heard the saying, don't just walk the walk, or don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. And it, it really is, it's so true. People are going to listen to what you have to say when they see you actually living it out. If you're saying one thing and modeling something totally different, you know, it's very hypocritical and people aren't going to follow that. So we, we really have an opportunity to do both. So, so often it, the emphasis is just on the walk. And yes, everything we do, we need to do for the glory of God, but also in what we say. Also continually offering a sacrifice of praise, continually proclaiming allegiance to him, just letting our lips show gratitude to him. So what we do, what we say, how can we make that bring glory to God? And this is what I strongly believe, that as each one of us begins to grasp that concept of a day-to-day uh, lifestyle of worship, as we see God in the, the, the things that in the past maybe we looked at as menial or mundane, finding God in all those things, when we make that our focus in a, a lifestyle of worship, we're going to see our corporate worship go to a whole nother level. When, when we put God first in the little things, in the day-to-day, we're going to see these times when we come together, we're going to feel his presence like never before. We're going to feel his anointing. And as we come and we lift him up and we glorify him, we'll feel an outpouring of his love, his mercy, him renewing us. Because we're not just focusing on a worshipful life within a one-hour worship service, but we're looking at it 24-7. How can I bring glory to God? And it's greatly going to impact our gatherings as a body of believers. And so tonight, what I want to do is I want to throw seven different things at you. And you might say, whoa, seven. But here's the deal. I was thinking about this. Dad is the master of flying through deep points, throwing them at you. And you look back and it was only 20 minutes. And you're like, wow, I got that. Okay, yeah, I can do that. So tonight, I'd like to think that I at least got some of that gift that I can fly through seven things in the next 20 minutes or so. And show you these seven things are areas that I believe a worshipful life impacts. They directly correlate with what it means to live a worshipful life. And this isn't rules. This isn't a checklist. This isn't a magic formula. But really, this is things that I think when you look at life and you look how we were uh, wired and that we exist to bring him glory, you can't separate these things. So let's look at those things. We're going to move fast, and I'm actually going to bust out the board for the first time. So here we go. (laughs) The first thing is repentance. Say worship is repentance. Worship is repentance. A lot of times when you um, think of an apology or someone saying they're sorry, it is just that. It's someone saying they're sorry, um, trying to make something right, admitting they did wrong. But so often, because we're, we have a flesh and because we are fallen man, we're, we're sinful by nature, we, that thing is, you know, we repeat those things. We, we, we tend to fall into the same cycles, the same mistakes. And when I say that worship is repentance... It's beyond just saying we're sorry for something, but really it's feeling remorse or feeling moved enough by something that we're provoked to change, that we're provoked to act. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, when I was young, and a lot of us have probably been at this point, you, you read a verse like that and you think, okay, if I confess my sins to him, 
He's going to forgive me and he's going to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And so we, we think maybe from a, a religious standpoint or a works mindset that every little sin we've ever done or every little sin that we do, we repeatedly have to go and ask for forgiveness and then we'll be clean. Then, then he'll wash away our unrighteousness. But what the scripture is getting at is not asking us to, you know, it's not a continual confessional. The goal of confession here isn't remorse. The goal is action. And so what I mean by that is it's not just um, saying we're sorry, but it's owning up to it and desiring to change. So when we confess to God our sins, it's not saying, God, please forgive me if you can. Please make me clean. It's saying, God, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I messed up, but I thank you for your patience. I thank you for your grace. And I thank you that before I ever even was alive, before he went to the cross, he saw those sins. He knew every sin we'd ever commit and he paid the price. He knew what we would do. But he already forgave us. He's already cleansed us from unrighteousness. So that's not saying that we don't practice, um, you know, trying to make it right and apologizing. But it's, it's a perspective shift that when we confess our sins, it's really just owning up to him and embracing the grace and the forgiveness that he's already granted us through the power of the cross. Now, here's the beautiful thing about corporate worship, like a time right now when we're together. You don't have to show up to church perfect. You don't have to show up like you've got it all together. You know, there, you don't have to have a certain clean track record and then you can come. This is a place for broken people. This is a place for people in repair. We all have shortcomings and we all have areas we're working on. And that's the beauty of the church is that we're committed to the cause of Christ in our lives, making us new daily and realizing that he's working in us. He's renewing us. So corporate worship is actually a beautiful time for you to actually um, receive uh, that, that forgiveness. To, regardless of what happened in your week, regardless of what you even did today, as you lift him up and as you glorify him, then re- laying those things at the foot of the cross, saying, God, I messed up, but I love you and I thank you for your grace. Laying those things down. So we can practice uh, repentance in a time of corporate worship. But beyond just the corporate setting, true um, repentance Our true worship impacts the way we live. And if we're living a worshipful life and if we're putting God first, then it's going to lead us into a lifestyle of repentance and a a lifestyle of confession that is not just causing us to say that we're sorry, but um, causing us to act and to strive to want to be better, to strive to put God in that first place. So true worship is repentance. Number two, worship is intellectual. Worship is intellectual. And I probably lost a lot of you right there. You're like, wait, what? Because <laughs> you think of intellectual and you think of the intellectual type. And I'm not saying that you have to have a certain IQ or a certain, quali- certain qualifications to live a worshipful life. But really here, the root of intellectual, I'm talking about intellect or the mind. And specifically in regards to worship, I'm talking about a renewal of the mind. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will for you is, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So it says transforming us into a new person by changing in the way that the way that we think. Well, how do we change the way that we think? Go with me to Colossians 3, 1 through 2. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. So how do we change our mind or the way we think? How do we transform our thinking patterns? Well, we think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And I'm not saying that you have to go around life floating in this spiritual bubble and that anything um, outside of that there's no room for. What I'm saying is that you look at life through the lens of God's perspective, 
Not through the lens of your perspective. Not through the lens of your circumstances, of your ability, of, of anything related to, to you pulling it off. But looking, Dad's been talking a lot about vertical. Our worship is vertical. We should have our sights set vertical. Not horizontal, not on just what's around us, but our sights on Him. And as we put Him first, as we look at things through the lens of His ability and the fact that He is above circumstance, that He's above our situation, He's all-powerful, and He's proven Himself in our lives, that's how, what I mean when I say we focus on the things of heaven and not the things of earth. We're called to worship the Lord with our minds by renewing them and fixing them on Him. Worship is intellectual. Okay, number three. Worship is emotional. Can you say emotional? Worship is emotional. And I think this is an important one because I feel that this is the scale that most people oftentimes uh, rate their time of corporate worship. Does does that make sense? I I think we've all had the times where we felt um, maybe those holy goosebumps or you're just, you're stirred in a time where you're with with other believers in, in in a time of worship. And many people confuse emotions with worship. It's easy to come together and, you know, there's beautiful music, there, there's lights that set the atmosphere, and, and we're with others, and it's just, it's a beautiful act, and so we are moved to emotion, we are inspired, we are stimulated, and a lot of times, if, if we just focus on the emotion of it, that's not always necessarily worship, because I've been in, in settings where it was, you know, maybe a secular concert, it had nothing to do with you know, bringing glory to God, but there was people crying just because of the music. Music is an emotional thing. A, a, a chord progression can strike such a, such a, a feeling in you that it could evoke tears, or, or a certain song can bring back an exact memory, an exact way that you felt at that time when you heard that song 20 years ago. So there's power in, in, in music. It's an emotional thing. So don't confuse sheer emotion with worship, because worship is not just something we feel, but worship is something we do. It's not just something we feel, but something that we do. And when I say that worship is emotional, what I mean is that we realize how deeply we were entrenched in sin, how helpless we were and alone, and how incredible it is that he still rescued us. We were left to our own own devices, left on our own. We were sinful and broken and, and in shame. But God knew we needed a way out, and he sent his son as that perfect sacrifice. And it created that dimension for us to boldly approach the Father and have a relationship with him and allow his healing, transformative work in our lives. Jesus paid that price. And what did any of us do to deserve it? What did any of us do to earn that or to somehow qualify for that? We didn't. And so if that doesn't evoke emotion in you, realizing that you have everlasting life, that you're forgiven of your sins, that you are whole and God is there for you, that he never leaves you and he never forsakes you, if that doesn't evoke emotion, then there's a little bit of a disconnect. Um, one, of, one of the greatest men that I've truly ever known, um, his name was Pastor Dave Cook. He was a pastor, an amazing father, an amazing friend, an amazing husband. He was just one of those guys that put a smile on everyone's face. And I would say it's been probably eight to 10 years ago that he, he passed away. And when my dad was spending some time with him before his death, you know, he has every reason in the world to, to, to be um, defeated and, and to just want to quit. But he's laying there weak and tired. And he looks at my dad with tears in his eyes and says, if John 3.16 doesn't bring a tear to your eye, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his son for us. It's like, what? what? What did we do to deserve that? God gave his son for us before we even knew we needed that help. And that should evoke emotion in you. 
He rescued us. Romans 5, 8 says that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. We were still sinners. We weren't clean yet. We, we, there was no conversion. There was no effort made on our part. While we were yet sinners, he still paid that price. And I don't know of any other place in life where you can receive such grace and, and something with no effort on your part. That should evoke emotion in you. That should cause you to want to live a worshipful life out of the emotion just of sheer gratitude to God for the sacrifice he made and it daily is impacting our life. Worship is truly emotional. Number four, worship is intentional. Worship is intentional. Most everything in our life that we do uh, is a choice. You look at your life and, and the things that you do, we, we, we really have choices of what we want to do. And I think if we looked at any of our lives, regardless of what we say we worship, the fruit of our lives, our priorities are going to reveal what we actually worship. Our thoughts, what we spend the most time thinking, what we spend most of our money on, where we spend most of our time, what receives our, uh, the, the most of our energy and our efforts, that's going to reveal what it is we truly worship. And I'll, I'll just be honest here. My flesh sometimes doesn't want to worship. And I'm not talking about, you know, on a Sunday morning getting up and having to come to church. But I'm talking about the day-to-day getting up and saying, you know, being faced with, okay, I can start my day off by you know, dragging out of bed or I can get up early and I can spend time in the Word and prayer. Your flesh doesn't always want to do that. It's a choice. It has to be intentional. Um, maybe you, you get up and, and you know there's going to be some people that are going to cross your path and you're going to be faced with the choice to walk in love with them. You know, Jesus walked in love, but, but we, have the, we have the choice. Are we going to choose to walk in love with them? These are the types of things we're, we're, we're faced with in a worshipful life. Are we going to make those choices? And my flesh sometimes doesn't want to do that. And I think if we're all being honest, it, it's, not, it's not our natural wiring that we choose to worship. It's not our natural wiring that we choose to live life that way. And you look at the disciples, people don't accidentally follow Christ. You know, they didn't accidentally... You just show up behind Christ and follow him during his ministry here on earth. They didn't leave their families, their homes, and their belongings by chance. It was an intentional choice. It was a sacrifice. And the fruit was far greater than any sacrifice. The reward was far greater. But it does take a sacrifice on our part. It does take some effort and intentionality. And when it comes to being a Christ follower, when it comes to our faith, if it were easy or if it were by chance, there would be no value. The value is in the fact that we sacrifice, that we have to put our flesh under, that we, you know, we're, we're faced with temptations and we're faced with things that we're going to have to overcome. And sometimes we'll lose because we're not perfect. But the fact is that the, the value really comes from the effort that we have to put forward. And I'm not talking about effort in the fact that we earn his love, but it's an intentional choice. Worship is intentional. Luke 9, 23 through 25. Actually, let me, let me back up real quick on that. Going back to our flesh, how do we tackle our flesh? When I said that worship is intellectual, I talked about renewing the mind. Well, we can't renew our flesh until we renew our mind. I think it really starts there. And renewal, when you think of that word, think about like a, mag- uh, a magazine subscription. You, you renew it because it's an ongoing thing. You know, usually on a yearly basis or whatever type of subscription it is. There, a renewal is a process. So you may be doing good today. You may... Um, you know, have renewed your mind and you're on track, but tomorrow you're going to wake up and be faced with the same decisions, the same temptations, the same struggles, the same things that you had to overcome and renew your mind concerning today. You're going to have to do it tomorrow and again and again. Renewal is a process. So if we want to uh, 
beat our flesh, if we want to be able to overcome that so we can intentionally choose a worshipful lifestyle, then we're going to have to renew our mind, and then that will lead, secondly, to helping us to renew our flesh and, and create that discipline in our life. Now, going back to Luke nine twenty three through 25. So then he said to his crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? He says, turn and follow me. That's an intentional action. That's not going to happen easily. It's not going to happen by chance. But we must make worship intentional. Worship is a choice. It's a sacrifice. But like I said, the fruit and the reward is always going to outweigh any sacrifice that we have to make for his sake. Put him first. Worship is intentional. Number five. Worship is relational. Um, we, we, you've probably heard the saying that uh, Christianity is not about religion or rules, but it's about relationship. You know, we, I've, we all say that. I've heard it said because really it is. It's not about a system of rules. It's not about perfection. It's not about classic religion, but it's about a relationship with God. So, but, so don't let that become a cliche just because it's said a lot, but really worship at its core is about relationship. It's a relationship with God. It's a response for who he is and for what he's done in our life. But the important thing to realize is that a true worshipful life, if God is in first place, and if our relationship with God is our first priority, as Pastor Sean was talking about, putting God first, whatever we want him to bless, put him first in those areas. Well, if we want him to bless our relationships, then he truly has to be in that first place. He has to be that number one relationship. So if you're saying that you serve God and, and that you, um, your relationship with him is just spot on, it's great, but yet you're manipulating others, and you're taking advantage of someone or lying behind someone's back or, or disrespecting your boss or, or whatever it may be. It's, it's really hard. I'm not judging anyone. I'm not saying that any of us have the right to judge someone else's actions. But I believe if God truly is in first place and we're making that relationship our priority, it's going to impact every other relationship. It's going to allow us to walk in love with others. It's going to allow us to give our, 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 our best as a spouse or as a parent or as a friend or whatever area it may be. 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16 says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. He demonstrated real love by giving up his life for us. And so we have a responsibility to demonstrate that for others. If, if he loves us and he made a sacrifice for us, he sees us in a certain way, then we need to strive to look at others as Christ would see them. We need to try and see the good in them. We need to walk in love. And that's not always easy. But as we embrace the relational aspect of worship, we will then be empowered to walk in the sacrificial love of Christ. Not just the people that we like, not just with the people that we choose, not just our family that we love or the, or the friends that we uh, keep company with, but everyone. It may be that person at work that every day just drives you crazy. It may be that boss that you feel like, man, I, I should be making more money than him. I should be his boss. It, whoever it is that pushes your buttons, even so in the natural, you, you don't want to respond in love, put God first, make that relationship priority, and he's going to enable you to walk in the sacrificial love of Christ. Worship truly is relational. All right, number six. Worship is financial. 
And honestly, I wish right here I could just stop and then press play from the recording that Pastor Sean did at that offering message. Because it was so spot on to, to what I'm going to try and relay here. Uh, and, and, and this isn't another giving message. Don't worry, we're not going to pass the buckets again. But this is to kind of get you guys thinking about this. Um, that as worship impacts so many areas of our life, it should impact our finances. And as Pastor Sean said, a lot of times it's hard for us. Maybe this whole giving thing is new to you and the percentage doesn't quite make sense. I realize that in this, in this body right now, there's a bunch of different backgrounds, not just, uh, you know, ethnicity or whatever, but financial backgrounds. Some of us are at different places in our finances. So maybe for some of you, you get the giving thing and you, and you put God first and 10% is no problem. But then maybe there's others of you. And like Pastor Sean said, you know, it's just a stretch to do that 1%. So what I want to do is take your thinking off of the percentage, because really, as he said, it's not about percentage. The tithe is not a percentage principle, but it's a principle of firsts. It's about putting God first. Don't don't necessarily get caught up on the amount and don't make it about works or a, a, a certain, you know, don't make it a checklist. But really look at it as say, this is me putting God first. Are, are, are you willing enough, are, are you trusting God enough that you would bring him that fish while the other nine are, are still out in the stream? You know what I mean? Second Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is instructing the church. There's a two full chapters, so we obviously don't have time to go there. But if you, I encourage you to read those because Paul's instructing on what it means to be a giver, what it means to be a steward. And there's three different ways I found that he instructs the church to give. And that is cheerfully, sacrificially, and regularly. Will you say that with me? Cheerfully, sacrificially, and regularly. And so being a cheerful giver, what does that mean? Well, I think that it means not just giving out of necessity, not just giving because you feel obligated to or guilted to, or like I said, because it would be a a, a check off your spiritual checklist. Don't make it a task. Don't reduce it to just something that you mindlessly do, but put your, your whole self into the giving and give cheerfully. Give cheerfully knowing that you're putting God first and you're trusting him with your finances. Give cheerfully knowing that he's fully capable to take care of and meet your every need. Give cheerfully that when you sow into ministries, that you are, the money that you have is in turn being able to go into hands who can impact thousands of lives on a weekly basis. Give cheerfully because it's allowing you to be an active part in what God is doing. Now, what does it mean to give sacrificially? I think anything in life is easy to do as long as everything is going good. You know, when everything's peachy, it's easy to, to do a lot of stuff. So when it comes to giving, if, if your giving is all, is all good and all the bills are paid and you've got extra coming in, well, then it may be easy to give. But what about when it's tight? What about when you don't know how you're going to pay this coming bill or, or whatever your situation looks like? What if, you, you know, you just got laid off? I, I don't know. But still trusting God with your finances, still choosing to put him first financially, sacrificially. However hard that may be. And you know, in my, in my life, there's been times where I felt, you know, I knew what I was supposed to do. And it was a stretch. It was like, well, how am I going to do that? You know, if I, if I give this, well, then I'm, you know, what am I going to do here? But every time, I promise you, God is able to, in return, meet your needs beyond what you could ask, beyond what you could expect. When you're obedient, he's going to bless you in return. And I could think of countless people, time and time again, where they trusted God, they put him first sacrificially in their finances, and he stepped up in a big way for them. Lastly, to give regularly. Don't just give, you know, when you have extra money. Don't give when you feel like it. But make giving a part of what you do as a believer. And I'm not just talking in this sense about necessarily uh, the tithe, but just giving as a way of life. Noticing those little opportunities around you. Maybe it's picking up someone's groceries. Maybe it's, it's praying with someone you don't know. Maybe it's going out of your way to give something to someone. But as you practice giving, 
in your life and you put God first in your finances, you're going to see him step up and take care of you like never before. We are to be good stewards of what he's given us. So looking at your life, what adjustments do you need to make in order to put him first in your finances? And I promise that when you do, he is going to meet your every need. Worship is financial. Last thing, number seven. Worship is unconditional. And I think this would be the the biggest one on this list because there's so many things, like I was just saying, there's so many things that it's easy to do when when all the factors are right, when everything lines up. But what about when things go south? We, we can't let our worship, our response to God, our, 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 our walk, we can't let that be based on condition. Because conditions change. Whatever's going good in your life today, tomorrow, you don't know what tomorrow brings. Now, we do trust God. We know that he's control and we, in control and that he's, he ultimately knows all and he'll take care of us. But conditions change. Situations change. Dad has taught us for years to live by principle, not by circumstance. Because while circumstances change, if we root our life in the principles of God and his promises and his track record and the truths of his scriptures, when you root your life in that, that is the way to live your life. Not by circumstance, but by principle. If you let circumstances um, affect your your, uh, worshipful life, a lot of times it will cause you to neglect pursuing Christ. And that's exactly how Satan wants it. If he can convince you that somehow God has lost control or, or, or lead you to doubt God or question God's timing, then, then he can get you off track. And that's the last thing you need. Whatever your situation is, whatever your circumstances are, however bad it is, the one thing you need first and foremost is God and make him that priority. Worship him unconditionally. Because even when things aren't good, God is good. Even when things change and your situation changes, he never changes. He never fails. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He's your father, your friend, your helper, your redeemer, your creator. He's your peace, your provision. He's your source. He's your shepherd. I don't care what your circumstances may say, but we serve an all-powerful God who's fully capable, who's fully able and has proven himself, and he is worthy to be praised. Our worship should be unconditional. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Don't let your worship become conditional. Because we have a God who is above condition. He's above circumstance. He's above our situation. He knows the answers. He's never left us. And he will take care of us. His promises are greater than your circumstances. Real quick, I want to leave you with three scriptures that I feel just really portray what it means to live a worshipful life unconditionally. Philippians 4, 12 through 13 says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Sometimes this becomes like the quick draw verse for like, you want to do something, you're like, I can do all things. And yeah, it applies to that. But really what this is relating to is a worshipful life, regardless of circumstance, regardless of condition, that we have the ability in him to worship him regardless of our circumstance because he's above circumstance. It's not sufficiency in our own strength, but it's sufficiency in the strength of our Savior. Psalm 34, 1 says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. And this goes back to the beginning when I said that worship can be anything we do and anything we say. Dad says, don't just think your thanks, say your thanks. 
speak it out. If God's been good, if he's done anything in your life, speak it out. Give him the glory. Don't just think on it, but speak those things into existence. Thank him for what you have and trust him for what you need. Let those praises flow off your lips to the God who's truly deserving and who is worthy of our praises. And one last scripture, Psalm 63, 1 through 8. says, God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. And that's what it's all about. That says it so beautifully. He holds us. He's faithful. His love is better than life itself. And that is why we praise him. So tonight, we've talked about how worship is repentance. It's intellectual. It's emotional. It's intentional. It's relational. It's financial. It's unconditional. And I think that if we all got together in this frame of mind, we could just add to this list of everyday things that we realize, wow, this correlates right with a worshipful life. If I'm truly living a worshipful life where God is first, it's going to impact all these other areas. And so that's kind of my goal tonight was to stretch your thinking. Yes, these seven are hugely very important. But beyond that, begin to look at your life. Look at your priorities. Stretch your thinking into how you can make worship beyond just an experience that happens at church, but truly make worship a lifestyle. Amen? Did you get anything at all out of this tonight?